Welcome, Wanderers, to the first episode of our holiday series. We'll be celebrating the holiday season with three holiday-themed episodes. Today, we're going to be taking a look back to see how some of our favorite holiday traditions came to be. So grab some hot cocoa and a warm blanket as we dive in. So you guys are probably familiar with like the traditions of, you know, decorating a Christmas tree or, you know, hanging up Christmas lights. But there's some that are some traditions that kind of they have some interesting backgrounds. So we dug up a bunch of our favorite Christmas traditions and we found the histories of them. I've actually never even heard of this first one that I'm going to do. Which one is that? I didn't know we were doing our favorite Christmas traditions. I just found some that I was like, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's like ones that are interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just found interesting ones. I've never even heard of this one. I'm not German, so that's probably why. (laughs) What is it? It's the Christmas pickle. I've heard of this one. I've never heard of this one. I've seen the ornaments and stuff in stores. Yeah, me too. But I I just thought it was for like weird people that like pickles. (laughs) Have you seen the... So I think it's in Hobby Lobby. They have a stick of butter. See? Like a glittery stick of butter. (laughs) See? See what I mean? I just thought that it was for like weird people that had like a pickle fascination and just wanted it on a tree. It could be. Yeah. I didn't know it was a a tradition, but it is. So this, it's sort of German. We'll get into the whole thing, okay? Okay. So- this German tradition is hang a Christmas pickle. Or, I'm going to try this in German now, okay? Don't laugh. Oh <laughs> we knocked Gurkha. I think it's like that's a gherkin, right. yeah. Yeah, gherkin. Yeah, is gherkin, that a pickle? I think it's pickle. Okay. I believe so, yeah. You know, I don't really eat the pickles. I don't like them. Anyway. You don't like pickles? No. <laughs> I, I only eat like a few a year. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Only like a few. Um, so yeah, so the Weenoxgurka now is also an American tradition of hiding the green ornament on the tree so that the first child to find it wins a gift or gets to open the first Christmas present in the morning. Um, the German way is that they don't hang just like a pickle ornament. The okay. followers of the, uh, the followers of this tradition, they hide the, like the teeny little green pickle, a real pickle within the <laughs> tree's many branches. So a legitimate yeah. edible food pickle. So on okay. Christmas morning, the first child to find the, the real pickle receives an additional gift or the privilege of opening the first present. So sort of like cross like the same thing, but a little bit different because yeah. it's a real pickle. It's fun. The American ways with an ornament. I just did some more research in this and found that like a lot of Germany doesn't really do this. Oh, really? At all. They don't know anything about this Christmas pickle. It's supposed to be like a German tradition though? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But I, yeah, but so in fact, uh, in a 2016 survey, they found that 91% of Germans had never heard of the Christmas pickle and only 2% celebrated it or used it. So if it didn't come from Germany, where did it come from? So one legend holds that the tradition started with John Lower, Lower Lower, in the 19th century, a Bavarian soldier fighting in the American Civil War. Lower Mm -hmm. fell deadly ill while being held at the Andersonville prison camp, and near Mm -hmm. his deathbed, he asked for a pickle, a request (laughs) that cured him entirely. After that, Lower hung a pickle from his Christmas tree every single year. Another belief holds that the poor families in Spreewald, it'd be like Spreewald, Germany, a region known for its pickles, once hung them on their Christmas trees in the absence of other like ornaments. 
the practice's origins are a bit murky, but it's but it likely grew from a Woolworths marketing gimmick from the late 1800s when the retailer received imported German ornaments shaped like a pickle and needed a sales pitch. So it's more German American than actual <laughs> from actual Germany. Oh, interesting. See, I it's always not- thought it was like a, a history thing in, Ger- in Germany, but interesting. Okay, so I also have a kind of a German tradition. So this one is the Christmas tree. So like a, a tradition mm-hmm. that most people most people celebrate and like use during the holiday season. So the history of the Christmas tree goes back to the symbolic use of evergreens in ancient Egypt and Rome and continues with the German tradition of candlelit Christmas trees, which were first brought to America in the 1800s. So it's like, so people like mm-hmm. all over the world have used like not necessarily like Christmas trees like we think of, but like different like palm fronds or like anything that stays green all year round. They use like the green leafies as decoration is like a sign of like hope and like fertility and like good fortune basically yeah so like the german like the german pagans they like displayed like the branches as a reminder that spring would come again and romans placed them around the temples to honor saturn who was the god of agriculture yeah and so on and so forth yeah exactly so germany is credited with starting the tradition of the Christmas tree as we know it back in the 16th century, when devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. Some built uh, Christmas pyramids of wood and decorated them with evergreens and candles if wood was scarce. So it was it was a widely held belief that Martin Luther, the 16th century Protestant reformer, first added lighted candles or lit candles to a tree. While walking towards his home one winter evening, he was awestruck by the millions of stars twinkling amidst the evergreens. He wanted to recreate this for his family, like give them the same like awestruck feeling. So he placed the tree in the main room and then lit the branches, like put little candles on them to kind of recreate the stars. So I thought that was kind of cute. What a fire hazard. <laughs> I mean, that tradition went on for a long time, too. That's so. true. They made it safer That's and safer. <laughs> I read yeah. that it it um, spread to um, England when Queen Victoria, she had a German husband, Prince Albert. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they set up a Christmas tree in their palace and then like the practice, because it was the queen that did it, you know, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to like the Kardashians. I hate to say that, <laughs> but I'll yeah. say it. And the practice suddenly became like the height of the Christmas symbolism in England and then also America. Oh, interesting. That's cool. What you got? Let's do wreaths. Okay. <laughs> I like wreaths. I like them too. So wreaths were developed in the 16th century in Germany. Um, But the symbolism of wreaths go back to ancient Greece and Rome when victorious athletes wore leafy branches woven into a crown, except a lot of those would be olive branches and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. The wreath is a circle and a circle and it's a circle and a circle is never ending. Mm -hmm. And they made it out of evergreens, which also offered the promise of spring's rebirth to pagans celebrating the winter solstice. So later, this Christmas this Christmas symbol was adapted into Christian celebrations with the Advent wreath, which is used to count down mm-hmm. the weeks until the birth of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So we're recording this like the week of Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. yeah, so Advent actually started this week. So that's pretty cool. The 20th so did Hanukkah. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, that started mm-hmm. this week. Today, yeah. So, yeah, so kind of talking, continuing talking about Hanukkah. So one of, the, one of the traditions that honestly growing up, I don't think I really knew much about, but I thought it was interesting because I've seen it before, is when people put like a single lit candle in the window of like your house. Like sometimes it's just one window. Sometimes it's like all your windows. Yeah, but there's there's several several different meanings behind it. So the first one is um, when you place the candle in the window, it's a common Christmas tradition that dates back to colonial times. And the tradition grew from um, the Irish, whose faith was outlawed by British priests, attempting to repress the Irish Catholics, which prevented them from practicing their faith. And as a result, the priests went underground, traveling and worshiping in secret. Irish Catholics began lighting candles in their windows and leaving their doors unlocked at Christmas as a sign it was safe for a priest to visit under the cover of darkness. Oh, that's weird. How did they get into yeah, Christmas? It, kind of, so there's a couple more couple more examples okay. here um, yeah it's kind of i guess like with that one kind of with christmas it's you know it's like christmas is a very significant holiday right mm-hmm. it's like one of the main holidays so it's like being able to have your priest come in like visit and be like it's oh, christmas here okay. you know it's like i think that's kind of how that one ties into christmas mm-hmm. uh second example is a lit candle is often placed in the window when a family member passed passed away so like if they pass away it was a way to like remember them and letting them know that they were missed um, it's also seen as like a silent prayer for the safe return of, or for an absent person. Like if someone went away like to war or something or like just went traveling somewhere. It was a sign that someone remained at home tending the fire and was waiting for them. Oh, so, that's really sweet. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is that the light symbolizes different religious traditions for those of various faiths. So Christians, a candle is lit to represent the star of Bethlehem, which guided the Magi to where to the stable where Jesus was born. And then for the Jewish faith, uh, the menorah in the window is a Jewish custom symbolizing the miracle of Hanukkah. And then today, menorah in the window represents the determination of the Jewish people for not abandoning their own faith. Yeah, cool. It's kind of cool. So there's a lot of different symbols for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all really cool. Okay, so we're going to do snowmen next. So the first documented snowman appeared in 1380, but mankind has probably been making snowmen for as long as there's been snow. Yeah, I believe that. I think, yeah, I believe that too. Um, These (laughs) Christmas symbols were especially, I think it's more, no, it's more like, it's just a winter symbol. Yeah. 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 So this winter symbol um, was made popular during the Middle Ages when many lacked the proper resources or outlets for artistic expression. So instead of trying to find traditional art, supplies maybe they couldn't afford them or whatever they then instead turned to snow and there was plenty of it Um, (laughs) michelangelo was even commissioned to build a snowman for the ruler of florence oh wow that's cool Mm -hmm. i wonder if they have like someone like sketched it because that'd be cool to see like what he did if it was just like our traditional snowman you know just like i doubt i doubt that much you imagine (laughs) michelangelo who did date the statue of david and you know um (laughs) can't think of it off the top of my head the what is it? I think, the what is it? Chapel. Yes, the Sistine Chapel. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm supposed to be the mm. art brain over here with my minor in art history, but apparently I can't even think of one of the most iconic um, I got one. murals <laughs> in the world, which would be the Sistine Chapel. But yeah, can you imagine if Michelangelo, who did all, you know, is an amazing sculptor, painter, architect, mm. just made like the traditional snowman of just like the three balls with the <laughs> carrot as the nose it sticks just like a little hat mm-hmm. it's like, pretty there great you go. honestly uh, <laughs> no, that's pretty that great is, that's I love that. really you know ornate and amazing yeah 
So the next one that I have is fruitcake, which is actually okay. Yeah, so you don't like fruitcake? I'm not crazy about it. I think it kind of does, but it's like it's so preserved, it doesn't really. It doesn't go bad. You could pat. You could like pass around a fruitcake for you know to each family member, like unload it on them, and they could regift it to you, and it could go on for years and years and years, and you could still eat it twenty years later, and it'd be fine. It's better than a Twinkie in like a apocalypse shelter, right? It's just like you oh, set that on the shelf. Your stomach would be fine. Cake, though. That's the thing. I don't know. My sister made some a few years ago, and that was okay. It was okay. Anyway. But but like the store bought stuff is just it's not my favorite. But so according to New York Times, New York Times fruit cake dates, dates back to a food enjoyed by ancient Romans called satura. It was a mix of barley, pomegranate seeds, pine nuts, and raisins, which were held together with honey. Um, and some speculate that this dish was invented as a way to preserve. Fruit fruit which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense because like makes nowadays sense. it's like all preserved fruits yep um and then in the middle ages fruit cakes were made with honey preserved fruits and then if they could find it spices so that was that was pretty popular and then according to the smithsonian magazine fruit cake gained popularity as a special occasion dish in the 18th and 19th centuries because during these times the ingredients were more expensive and were harder to come by which made the fruit cake a, a rare delicacy so it's actually weird and in the 19th century, on a fruit cake became a traditional wedding cake in England. Oh my gosh! So I was like, well, if you think about it, if it was like a rare thing, if it's for your wedding, divorce, right, you're gonna spend a little bit more. <laughs> it all led to div- oh my gosh, no. divorce. No. Divorce. I wonder too if it like it tastes better back then because I'm sure they didn't have like the maraschino cherries. Like I like maraschino cherries. Don't get me wrong, but you don't like them. I like them at two a.m. at good. a bar. That's when I like them. That's the only time I <laughs> like them. Go. There you go. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. But I suppose like their fruits and stuff tasted different. Plus, is like fruits back then especially were rare. That's why like kids used to get them for That's Christmas. That's true. So Ooh, different taste. Good but. segue. Here we go. Speaking Ooh. of foods that cr- <laughs> children used to get during Christmas, their next thing is the christmas orange oh. i didn't know about this either oh really i had no idea i don't remember for some reason i thought like it was in like the little house on the prairie books maybe i'm wrong you're probably i, mi- I bet you're right that time. but i didn't know about this <laughs> so the christmas orange i just have all this sort of food oriented stuff food delicious orange <laughs> The holidays are for food. That's true. Right? The holidays are for (laughs) gorging your face. Delicious foods. So the Christmas orange, this is a lesser known um, holiday symbol. It was actually a traditional 19th century stocking present. And in the original St. Nicholas stocking folktale, sometimes it said that he left oranges instead of gold coins. Why? Well, putting oranges in Christmas stockings was a much more affordable tradition to replicate than a bag of gold. Duh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yet the exotic fruit still seemed a rare indulgent treat for this holiday season. Yeah, it's very true. It's like, especially back then when you didn't have like all the transportation and stuff we have now, it's like fruits. Right. If you live up like, mm-hmm. yeah, like trying to get them from wherever, like Florida or whatever, mm-hmm. up to like the Midwest, they'd go probably bad by the oh, time yeah. you could get it up here back then. So I wish that would be like a holiday party pineapple like a christmas pineapple <laughs> that's Wasn't the that more like kingly fruit still? yeah that's kingly fruit. yeah if you yeah kingly fruit i'm sure they put it on like their ham and stuff that's true if they could get it yeah if they could get it <laughs> mm-hmm. and if you want to know more about the exciting history of the pineapple and its relations to you know wealth and money mm-hmm. and power you can go back and listen to episode 38 oh there you go good segue thank I you like it. but after this episode <laughs> 
Or you can take a break from the episode and go listen to that episode and then come back. That's true. Either Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) So next one that I have are gingerbread men. So according to Carol Levin, who is a director of medieval studies program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, Queen Elizabeth I's 16th century reign was known for their elaborate royal dinners that included things like marzipan-shaped fruits, castles, and birds, like fancy desserts. So the queen's like staff, they also included a royal gingerbread maker. So according to Levin, um, there was there was a banquet where she had gingerbread made to represent foreign dignitaries and people in her court. So kind of like to kind of go with the expensive allure with her dinners. Mm -hmm. So also during this time period, gingerbread men were dished out by folk medicine practitioners, often described as witches or magicians. They would create them as love tokens for young women. So if they could get the man of their choice to eat the gingerbread man that had been made for them, the idea was that the man would fall in love with the young woman. So it was like a love spell, basically. Hmm, so <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did they become something to eat around the holidays? Basically, the popularity of the gingerbread men during the holidays, at least in part, was attributed to the belief that spices would heat you up in the winter. So like that's the ginger years ago. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like the spices with like ginger and I think cloves, like nutmeg, they're all very deep like spices, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like warm spices. So that's kind of why it's like a cookie made with the warm spice and heat you up in the winter. So that's kind of how it came that's in contact weird with like, that the it holidays. was just like some witch doctors <laughs> love potion and then it just went to we <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Yay. Fun. Delicious. They are really good though. I love gingerbread. Take you don't like gingerbread? It. I take it or leave it. Oh, okay. fair enough. All right. Another thing I take or leave is the elf on the shelf. <laughs> Oh, I don't like this one. <laughs> this is a modern, it's modern, Christmas symbol yeah. and the burden to many parents everywhere. Um, the Christmas Christmas elves, of course, are not new. We've talked, we've covered yep. this in episode 42 called Gnomes. You can go back and listen to it if you want to. Anyway, <laughs> mischievous elves crop up in Scandinavian, Celtic, and German folklore, and they became linked with the Santa Claus tale in the 19th century. So fast forward to 2005 when twin sisters and their mother self-published the book Elf on the shelf about a family tradition they had growing up. Their toy elf only moved at night, traveling back and forth to the North Pole to report the kids' naughty or nice behavior to Santa and returning to a new location around the house the next day. See, like, I heard about this, like, growing up. I don't think I was, I think I was, like, a teenager when I finally heard about it. Same. But they have, like, books and movies and TV specials every year now. And they have, like, different outfits you can dress it up as. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want to be just an elf? It's an elf. Like, why would you want to dress it up as is like you know i don't know zoro or something <laughs> i don't know i don't know there's a lot of interesting things like some parents like do like make up whole like little scenes of them like oh yeah. the fridge or using the bathroom or like just like hiding random I've places seen, yep i've seen like pooping with like hershey kisses <laughs> where they like pose them so that yeah. they look like they're pooping it was fun. yeah it's mm-hmm. kind of funny but it also like the thought of it kind of creeps me out to be honest it's, it's like just creature so it's just too much you. work like the holidays are already too much work as it is <laughs> these parents have to you know work and then also get toys and all this other stuff but then now they have to like make this elf do comical like scenes like set this up that takes hours yeah, like I feel like if I had one for my kids, it'd be just like moving it different places throughout the day and like little things. It wouldn't be like whole elaborate scenes, I guess. It would stay in one spot and that's it. <laughs> I 
for your house and just stay in one spot. I might even yeah. just like get like a trail camera, like make a miniature trail camera and the elf is okay. there and then the elf like one day and then the elf is just like, I've given up. I hate my job. I quit. And then there's like a sign <laughs> with like a trail camera that's just like, it'll just watch you with this. While it sits at home, it like sits in its lazy boy and eats peaches. <laughs> peaches? Why peaches? I don't know. Like, like that's kind of like a fun thing to eat. Savory. Juicy. Peaches are sweet. What do you like? What peaches are not savory? They're I don't eat peaches. <laughs> I don't know this. I thought a peach is savory. <laughs> is a peach not a peach? No. It's a fruit. I'm a quarter of a century years old and I have never had a peach. Really? That's surprising. Okay. I've yeah, had they're, peach they're flavored sweet. things. Does that count? Aren't those well? Like, aren't they sweet? No, I taste like crap and I spit it out. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, no, they're they're a fruit. They're supposed to be sweet. Well, the elf so. can eat that too. Okay, mm-hmm. offer him. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's all fine. So the next one that I have uh, are candy canes, which is something that I always had growing up as a kid. I had those too. My nana has candy canes mm-hmm. on her tree from the 1970s. Are you she, serious? She saved them? Yeah, she uses them as ornaments. They're still like wrapped up and they look disgusting. They're like petri- <gasps> it's more like a petrified candy cane at this point. I wouldn't eat them, okay. but I would serve them to your enemies if you have any. Have they changed color or are they still good? Like No, they change colors. They don't okay. look nice. <laughs> Are they just like brown now? It's more like the, the it's like orangey yellowed, but then she has like the oh, mul- she has like the okay. multicolored ones as well that it it doesn't they don't look pre- they don't look pleasant. Oh, that's not good. You should just get her a bunch like of new ones and give them to her for a cre- Christmas present. This I year. think she would just stack them on top of the old ones. I don't think she'd get rid of the old ones. Oh, really? Yeah, that doesn't okay. really go through her head when you give her something new to replace <laughs> the other thing. It's more it like oh, yeah. I add on to it. If one looks good, ten more will look even better <laughs> it's more that logic okay. but anyway okay. tell me about candy cane all right here we go <laughs> so okay so it is said that in 1670 a choir master at the cologne cathedral in germany gave all the fidgety children who attended the long church services like white sticks of candy basically to like help them like have something to do while they're sitting through mm-hmm. hour-long services and stuff so the sticks were bent later to into a j for either jesus or to look like a shepherd's crook so you know like the little staff that shepherds have yeah. So this was done to appease the other churchgoers that complained the sweet treat did not belong in the holy space. And I just think they're jealous that they didn't get candy. <laughs> Debbie Downers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then giving out candy canes became a regular po- regular tradition. And eventually the practice during church ceremonies spread over all around Europe and America. So it became a regular thing. And then the first documented example of the use of candy canes to celebrate Christmas occurred in 1847 when August Imgard, a German Swedish immigrant from Worcester, Ohio, uh, decorated his Christmas tree with the paper ornaments and candy canes. So it's just like a very simple thing. So that's kind of how it got connected with more with Christmas and decorating and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Um, and then later, the solid white sugar canes were on Christmas cards in the early 1900s. And then the first red and white striped ones were made at the turn of the 19th century. So at the time the first striped candy canes appeared, the candy makers added peppermint flavor, which quickly quickly became the most popular flavor and okay. traditional. So many people believe that the shape and form of the candy cane have religious meanings, which I kind of do, um, and is believed that the red stripes of the candy canes represent blood of Christ, and the white stripes of the candy cane represent the purity of Christ. The three, fi- three fine stripes that are believed to represent the Holy Trinity, and like we said before, the shape, J-shape, the candy could represent Jesus, or, the, or to look like a crook from a shepherd's cane. Okay, I think yeah. I've heard that one before. 
Okay, so the Yule Log, it was part of the ancient winter solstice celebrations, but it was in it was Americans who turned the wood burning into a must see into must see TV. So back in 1966, <laughs> WPIX TV in New York City aired a continuous 17 second loop of a fireplace for three hours along with holiday music that led Good to on. the inv- to an eventual better production and nearly 20 years of annual viewing. Um, today oh you my. can view the Yule log on demand and on youtube i'm not gonna lie when you said yule log i was thinking like you know like the rolled up cake with like the frosting in the middle yeah Isn't that called the yule log too I think it's called the yule log <laughs> as well but i mean it's that, based okay. off of that thing that you're supposed to burn yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and a lot of people now i've seen like different people like the different takes on the yule log i think i i watched the yule log my, my sister put it on one year for christmas so, like while we were decorating the tree and just like <laughs> It's just this burning like, log on the TV. Burning log on the TV. I like the one where they add stuff. It's just not the log. Like it's a view of the yeah. like the room, and there is one that has mm-hmm. like puppies playing or like sleeping. Yeah, those are cute. That, one, that one's cute. I recommend that one if yeah, you need a cute. Yule log for your Christmas this year. There you go. Right, so the next one that I have is one of my favorite Christmas traditions. It's Christmas lights. So when you hang up lights on your tree and everything, make the outside look beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it was not until around 1915 that the glass balls and lanterns were used to replace the candles on trees. So safer. Safer. Um, as a not a fire a hazard. <laughs> because just well, think how, I mean, if they're using a live Christmas tree and that thing has to be yeah. watered constantly or be sitting in water, otherwise it will dry up mm-hmm. and then you're adding live, like real candles to it yeah i just yeah. don't understand how like everybody's house burns down or doesn't burn i'm down. sure it's happened yeah yeah i'm sure like they've had a lot of accidental fires mm-hmm. and like although like the um the electric lights are safer they're still especially like original the old ones oh my god it's still kind of dangerous mm-hmm. <laughs> yep so in 1882 the first christmas tree to be lit by electric lights was seen in New York. It was lit by Edward Johnson, who was a friend and kind of like a co-worker of Thomas Edison. So actually, like, Johnson hired Edison for a little bit and was, like, working with him when he was really young. And then when Edison left to start his own company, Johnson kind of followed him and, like, basically helped sell a lot of his products and things. Okay. Um, so then he, like, commissioned or, like, asked Edison to help make something for, like, Christmas lights, like, for his, like, tree to, like, decorate it and stuff like that. So the Christmas tree was lit with beautiful red, white, and blue lights, which are still popular today. And it was also it also led to the creation of the first string of Christmas lights that were easily mass produced and were available for sale around 1890. So like the first crazy. Christmas tree. I didn't think yeah, it'd it was be that late. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. more like 1930s, honestly, or like 1920s. Oh, really? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, you kind of think so. Yeah, so like the first Christmas tree that was lit with electric bulbs mm-hmm. uh, that Johnson had, it was actually like individual bulbs that they wired together. So it wasn't like a string of bulbs oh. like you know see today. Yeah. It was like individual ones. Ones. Okay. This is a lot more that's, work. That's a lot of work. That's yeah, a lot that's of extra cool. steps. Yes. Yep. So the first sets of strings, strings of Christmas lights were expensive. For then it was like 12 bucks for 24 lights, which in today's money would be about $80, which was a lot. It was a wow. little bit too expensive. Yeah. For like everyday people to to afford especially to have like multiple to decorate yeah, the tree. Yeah, 24 lights that doesn't really go that much yeah. far on a Christmas tree. No, no. 
However, Christmas lights became available for rent, just like the pineapple, um, at a much cheaper price, allowing them to be used by everyone to liven up their holiday displays. So they kind of had like kind of the same thing as like we talked about with the pineapple. Mm-hmm. They have places where you can go and rent out Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the nice thing that they have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so these lights were created by GE, General Electric. Yep. And they came in seven colors, clear, frosted, green, blue, purple, ruby, and opal. Opal. Pretty. Yeah. I want yeah, that. That would be pretty. You should bring that yeah, back. Same. I would love some opal. That'd be pretty. Yeah, I love those. Uh, and then 1917, a fire caused by the Christmas lights led to some reworking, and Albert Sadika came up with safe lights, which helped reduce the risk of fire from Christmas light strings. That's pretty, pretty neat. Cool. I didn't know anything about Christmas so. lights at all. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen like those, um, the lights that have like the, they look like miniature wobble lamps? Like, yeah, bubble, bubble lights. lights. I love those. I love I bubble them. lights. I think the those are dangerous those are cool. too. I don't know. I think so. I think they used to be. I think now they've kind of reworked them okay. to make them safer, which they kind of have to. But yeah, so if they're safe, I'd like to have some actually. Me too. I'm gonna check Amazon. <laughs> All right, my next one I'm gonna do is mistletoe. Okay. So Norse mythology creeps into this Christmas tradition to explain why we kiss under the mistletoe. So according to legend, the gods use mistletoe to resurrect Odin's son Baldur from the dead. So Baldur's mother, Frigg, the god goddess of love made the plant a symbol of love and vowed to kiss anyone who passed under it. The plant also ties into the holiday season because it can blossom even when it's cold outside, so perfect timing. So during <laughs> Christmas celebrations in the 18th century in, in England, men were allowed to kiss any w- women who were standing under the mistletoe, and if the ladies refused, that meant bad luck. Probably die alone, barren and sad, with some cats. That's really depressing. And wasn't it like said that like if a woman refused a guy's kiss from that, like she would never get married, whatever? I would just, it's if just I went like- to a Christmas party during that time, I would just stand with my head looking constantly like up. My head like looking up. It's like standing. I would look like um, <laughs> I'd look like Charlie Brown when he's dancing. You know when the Peanuts gang are dancing. Oh, and like yo, their hand- yo. I would look like that. <laughs> You can't drink me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so adding to that too, like the kissing the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe started in ancient Greece uh, during the festival of Saturnia, I believe is how you say it's it. It's just after Sat, the god of the god Saturn. Saturn. Okay. Um, and later in marriage ceremonies because of the plant's association with fertility. During the Roman era, enemies at war would reconcile the differences under the mistletoe, which to them represented peace. Romans also decorated their houses and temples with mis- mistletoe in midwinter to please their gods. Cool. So even yeah. it was used back even then. Yeah, I've it's never is real tradition. I've never seen mistletoe like like a real plant. I've only seen like the fake plastic ones. I don't think I have either. I think I had to Google it because I was like, weird. what does it actually look like? Can I buy it so at like, Lowe's? Like the real plant? Let me Google. I don't know. <laughs> let me go to Lowe's. You can buy fake ones. <laughs> the real plants isn't it it's poisonous if you eat it right oh i'm sure why would you eat it i don't know i heard it in batman (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think because their quote was like what was it the quote was it was a Catwoman and batman and one of the two said like oh mistletoe it's you know it's deadly if you eat it and the other one says back like it's super cheesy a kiss is even deadlier (laughs) oh smooth smooth (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of sellers. Like, I just Googled. So I looked for, like, on Google, like, where you could buy it. A lot of people on Etsy sh- sell it, actually. I might go in there. Like, Etsy better than Amazon. Etsy. Or Lowe's, yeah. even. 
I actually like so when I was younger, I always confused mistletoe that has white berries with holly, which has red berries. Is like, that I always, not like, it? Switch them. They're two. They're two separate plants. Holly mistletoe. Holly's the red berries, right? Yes. And then what's the mistletoe? Yeah, holly's red, white. Weird. It's just white. White berries? Ugly. <laughs> no color. Okay. We can get some at Williams and, S- Williams and Sonoma. I can't afford. I can't even afford a napkin in Williams and Sonoma. It's 25 bucks. I can get that, but is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next view that I have are about Santa. So the first one is why Santa wears a red suit. So the artist Thomas Nast illustrated Moore's book, Moore wrote A Night Before Christmas. He created the images of Santa Claus that would serve as a foundation for his well-known red costume. So I guess like for a while, I thought that Coca-Cola made it. So it was like he had the red suit because I guess I, that's what I heard before. It was like Coca-Cola was responsible for yeah, I thought that making him in a red suit. The Santa. But I, that's not completely true. Like that's part of it, mm-hmm. but it's not completely true. So Nast went on to draw Christmas scenes for the publication of Harper's Weekly. Uh, he continued to draw images of Santa from 1862 until 1866. Nast's illustrations were the first to depict Santa Claus as a version that we see today. His illustrations also included the background of like scenery associated with Christmas, like reindeer, the North Pole, uh, Santa's workshop, toys, all that stuff. Um, however, he still did not have the traditional red suit. So while Santa Claus became an established figure and he showed up in different advertisements, he sometimes appeared thin with a scraggly beard. And while he may have worn a red coat, sometimes he wore different colored hat like green or white or something like that i like that so, better do you he seems more like a wizard that's true <laughs> i like that better. fair enough yeah a wizard so by 1881 nast created an image called merry old santa that showed santa claus in a red suit as well with his fuller stomach thicker beard and rosy red cheeks yet this image had yet to become standard so l frank Baum, Baum, who wrote the wizard of oz and illustrated the yearly 1900s book the life and adventures of santa claus in which santa wore a green coat with red boots so still kind of hasn't been solidified yet. Mm-hmm. So while different companies did feature Santa Claus in a red suit trimmed with white fur throughout the early 1900s, it was not until 1931 the full image became widely recognized. And in 1931, the Coca-Cola company hired illustrator Haddon, Haddon Sunbloom to create a Christmas advertising campaign after a successful ad created by the artist Fred Mizzen that ran the year before. And that's how we have the red suit, red hat, black boots, jolly man with the big beard and the big belly. Mm-hmm. He used to have yeah, like a pipe, right? Or no? And they got yeah. rid of that maybe? Yep, I think so. No. Tobacco and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that yeah, the so- red suit was before Coca-Cola. Yeah, it's like, I always thought it was like green before then or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they just switched it. But it's actually, it's like, it's been flip-flopping for years. Cool. And then, yeah. You got another one? Okay, I have this one that lo- a lot of people don't know about. Okay. It's not on any slides. I have it on Atlas Obscura. Okay. <laughs> so it's called, I did this once as a little kid. It's called the Peppermint Pig. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you just basically smash this pink, this pink candy pig with a tiny hammer and it started in Saratoga Springs. And so that's in New York, the state of New York. Um, so it start, it has roots dating back to the 19th century. So 1800s. So after Mm -hmm. Christmas dinner, a family member deposits the pig into a small sack and then using a small metal mallet or hammer, each person (laughs) at the table gives a pink porker and shares a story i love it and shares a story of how their good fortune from the past of their good fortune from the past year so once everyone has had a turn the sack is dumped out and the piggy pieces are shared among the guests so it's body parts um so 
So they're shared among the guests in the hopes of ushering in another year of happiness and prosperity. So local lore says that the Saratoga-based um, chef invented the peppermint pigs as a substitute for in-demand but difficult-to-source European marzipan candies in the 1880s. Oh. So while the candy okay. and its rousing tradition became beloved became beloved holiday rituals, sugar rationing dur- during World War II brought production to a halt. But in 1988, a local candy maker named Mike Fitz- Mike Fitzgerald decided to resurrect the piggies. So today, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald's Fitzgerald's team at Saratoga Sweets still use natural peppermint oil flavoring and shapes the candy with aluminum alloy molds that have been cast from the century-old or- originals. When the cooled oh. molds are carefully opened, they reveal a small pink pig inside. Oh. So they make so the Saratoga Sweep they produce more than a hundred thousand pigs each year. Oh my goodness. So if you want to know anything more about that, you can go onto the Saratoga Sweets website or you can look at the rest of this article up on Atlas Obscura. Okay. Is this supposed to be like modeled after like a piggy bank? Is that what it is? No, it just looks like a big old hog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It doesn't look like a cute, no, it doesn't look like a cute like pig. It looks like a big fat, like, you know, squeal, squeal, you know, truffle pig. It's a huge. Why is it a, why is it a pig then? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. And you said, how many times have you done that? I've done it. I did it once. I still have the mallet. Oh, that's fun. Maybe I will smash some pigs this year. I don't know. Should you order a pig? Fingers crossed. All right. So the last one that I have is why do we leave cookies out for Santa? So originally leaving a treat out for Santa was born during the Great Depression as a lesson for parent from parents to children on giving. So leaving out cookies and milk for Santa also doubled as a sign of appreciation and show of gratitude for the gifts the children received, even while America was going through the economic hardship. And then this tradition has spread throughout the world. Instead of milk, pints of Guinness are left out for Santa <laughs> during his stops in Ireland. In France, children leave off wine oh. and stuff hay and carrots into their shoes for I treats would like for the that. reindeer i would just yeah. want to get if i was santa i would just want to get just you know yeah wine mm-hmm. at every house just wine drunk don't drink and fly <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> and then australian and british children leave out mince pies ew. as well as cookies and milk ew, ew, ew. i remember as a kid like we had cookies milk and we also leave, left like baby carrots out for the reindeer oh that's cute so yeah, that was fun. That's some good memories. That's like something I kind of forgot about growing up. Because like once you get older, I haven't done that for years. But it's, it's kind of cute. Like I'm going to have my kids do wine. Do wine. <laughs> Santa needs wine. <laughs> Santa likes wine. <laughs> yeah. And some Cheetos. Ooh. Is that a good combination? Wine and Cheetos? I've done it before and I'll do it again. I have fun with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I guess wine and cheese, right? Wine, cheese, and crackers. Oh, yeah. Just I'll like be all like, in one. Santa would like a nice piece of brie <laughs> with, with a Cabernet, please. And that's what Santa oh, wants delicious. every year. Yep. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I've seen, have you seen like, I think it's, I've seen it on TikTok. I think it's from Trader Joe's. They call them brie bites, but they're just like little wheels of brie cheese, like the size of like, you know, those baby bell cheeses. Oh, God. That would it's be just, really like, good. Yeah, it's like little brie bites. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish I had a treasure. You should order some. Get some. Yeah. So I have quite a few sources that we, I used in the research for this episode. So some of them that I used were LiveScience.com, Insider.com, CBC.ca, Time.com, History.com, BestOfLife.com. Um, I actually used HalloweenExpress.com. Ew! <laughs> for, well, that was for like why Santa uses those are so like, sketchy. Why he has a red that's, coat. Isn't that the story? No, it's Spirit. Halloween Express? 
Oh, I was thinking yeah. of the yeah Halloween. I was thinking of that spirit, spirit Halloween, Halloween where they just like do no, pop ups in like one. old abandoned Shopco's and Kmart's. Yeah, no. no. Okay, never mind. Move no, on. this is Move Halloween on. Express. Forgive, forgive me. <laughs> Move along. And then I use CandyHistory.net and ChristmasLightSource.com. And then I use Read Your um, Readers Digest. They have some fun articles. I don't know if they're still they still are alive anymore. Like they still do Readers Digests. I remember my gr- my grandparents yeah. got those when I was little. I don't know if they still do physical copies yeah. or not. And then oh, Atlas okay. Obscura. Yep. I love Atlas Obscura. You can easily just search Christmas traditions or Christmas up there and you'll find some pretty interesting articles. Nice. I always forget about that, actually. Atlas Obscura. It's a, it's really, I love it. Mm-hmm. It's good for travel and it's, it's like if you're going to go travel somewhere, it's good for <laughs> that. It'll give like restaurants and different um, activities oh. and it's just fun also to just read their articles, their weird stuff. Yeah. Like peppermint pigs. <laughs> peppermint pigs. All right, Wanderers, thank you so much for listening to another Foolish Wanderers podcast. If you'd like to give us suggestions for any new episodes for the next coming year, feel free to email us at fwplisteners at gmail.com and check out our companion images at Foolish Wanderers Podcast on Instagram. And as always, like, like, subscribe, comment. Give us a five-star rating. That will really help us out. Share with your friends. And as always, our podcast or new episodes are out every single Wednesday on wherever you're getting your podcasts. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time.